All of a sudden, Jesus, he looked at me like, like I was the only person in the room. He told me to touch his hands where the nail had went through and on his side where the spirit pierced him. He came just to tell me, stop doubting and believe. So today, as we celebrate the resurrection, we're finishing up our series, As the Rain Comes, Bless the Lord. We're indoors. Uh, as we celebrate the resurrection, we're finishing up our, our series called The Counselor. We've been finding out that Jesus was an incredible counselor and a good counselor asks questions. When you ponder the answer to those questions, you find direction for your life. So the first week we looked at the question, why are you so afraid when they were in the middle of a storm? The next week we asked, do you believe? Jesus asked, do you believe I can do this uh, to a man who was blind? Last week, we looked at a guy who'd been in affliction. He'd had some type of, uh, he'd been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus said, do you want to get well? Today, we're going to look at skepticism when Jesus asked the questions, question, why do you doubt? Now, I know a lot of people, we're in the Bible Belt, and I know a lot of people that say the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. I'm going to go a little bit further than that. The Bible says it, and if the Bible is God's word, that settles it whether you believe it or not. That's irrelevant. If the Bible is God's word. Now, I know some people, they say, well, I'm just naturally skeptical. I have all of these questions that I need to to have answered. And and that's cool. We we welcome questions here at New Life. Now, I grew up in a very um, conservative Baptist church. In fact, we were called fundamental Baptist. Women couldn't wear pants because pants were from hell. Did y'all see um, the water boy? foosball is of the devil. Everything was of the devil. Everything was of hell in the fundamental Baptist church. Uh, when we went to youth camp, you couldn't have mixed bathing. I'm going, what is mixed bathing anyway? It's swimming. They called swimming because we, we reasoned that if you had mixed bathing, pregnancy happens. And so that's what we came up with. We didn't know why you couldn't have mixed bathing. We didn't know why you called it bathing. That made us all feel uncomfortable. Now in our church over here on the floor, we had a piano and over here on this side, we had an organ. We had a choir that wasn't very good. And, and all we did was sing hymns because God only likes hymns. That's, that's songs from a book, right? So you, and we only sang stanzas one, two, and four. I don't know what happened to verse three. I don't know what, what was wrong with it. Maybe it was of the devil. I don't know, but we never sang verse three. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, when I was six years old, I was sitting back on the section. This was a three-section pews all the way back, over here, middle, and over here. I was sitting at the back with my brother, who was 20 years old. And as my pastor was preaching... I really felt like God said to me, I felt like Jesus said, Doug, you don't know me. I didn't hear an audible voice. I just had this impression. You see, my church, I had heard a lot about hell. That's all we heard about. Pastors be sweating, spit be flying, you know, and they're talking about hell and you don't want to go there. And I knew I didn't want to go there. But in my Sunday school classes, they told me how much Jesus loved me. And so I knew that Jesus loved me. I knew I didn't want to go to hell. And I really felt like Jesus said, Doug, you do not know me. And so I tugged on my brother's shirt sleeve and I said, I need to get saved. And he said, well, go on down. Because that's the only way you got saved in the fundamental Baptist church was you came down during one of 800 stanzas of, of just as I am. Only him we ever sang every stanza multiple times to see if somebody would come forward. So I went forward and I said, you go with me. And so my brother went with me. So at six, I prayed and I asked Jesus to forgive my sins and lead my life. And shortly after that, I was baptized. 
Now, I went through a period of, of kind of ups and downs in my spiritual life, asked lots and lots of questions, and about mid-20s, I really, really got my answers to all these questions, so I jumped in wholeheartedly. I, must, I said, I'm going to spend my life telling people about this Jesus. And for as long as I can remember, I've gone to mountains, and I've gone to the Grand Canyon, I've gone all over different places, different countries, and I've seen the majesty of God's creation. I've seen the fact that we have food, we have air, we have water. I've seen the fact that, that God made us male and female. Woo! And, I, and I noticed too that God made animals, male and female, and that's a good thing. And, and, I, and I started to read and I found out that, that our, our planet is just in the right place. I mean perfectly in the right place to sustain life. If we were just a little bit, and I mean like a couple of miles closer to the sun, we would burn up and we couldn't sustain life on this planet. If we were a couple of miles further away from the sun, we would freeze to death and couldn't sustain life. And I look at all this majesty of God's creation and I say there must be a designer. I, I see this and I go, somebody smarter than me thought this stuff up. Because everything makes sense. Now, I, I put a picture on there. If I'm walking uh, down the beach and, and I, see a pic, I see a watch, you see that? It's not in there? Imagine there's a watch on the screen. <laughs> Woo! See, all you have to do is imagine. Just use your imagination. <laughs> if I'm walking along the beach and I see a watch has wa- washed up, I don't automatically assume that random forces of time and energy just made this watch come together. The tumbling in the ocean, the, the pressure of the depth mashed everything together and it comes out a fully functioning watch because that's what you got to believe with some of this other stuff. That enough time and, and enough um, energy and pressure that just magically something that works comes out of it. You know what I think when I see the watch come up? First of all, I think somebody lost it. Oops. But you know what I think beyond that? I don't think random chance created that watch. I think that there was a watch maker. You see, believing in evolution, in just random time, that nothing, that, that something came from nothing, it takes more faith to believe in that than it does to believe that there was this intelligent designer. Did you know in a lot of our colleges, if a professor says intelligent design, they can be fired if they don't have tenure? See, okay, believing in just random stuff happening is like, I've never, I have, I've had my dryer. It's a Kenmore dryer. I've had it since 1988 or 89. I don't remember which, so it predates Janie. And, and believing, <laughs> believing that random chance, it, it's, it's like this is going to happen. Someday I'm going to open up my dryer and everything's going to be folded for me. That's the type of faith you have to have. To believe that something came out of nothing with no intelligent design. Now, I know that doubts come in all shapes and sizes. I understand that. Some people doubt the existence of God. Some people go beyond that and they say, there's no way God exists and you're a fool if you believe in that stuff. Other people will give God the benefit of the doubt and say, yeah, I think there's someone out there, but I don't know that he is involved in human life. And they'll say things like, you know, I've prayed to him. And he's not ever done anything. So either he's not interested in my life or he doesn't have enough power or something like that. Some people doubt that God could love them. They'll say, well, if God, if there is a God, the things I've done in my life are so bad that there's no way that God could love me. There's no way God could forgive me. Some people will say, well, I wanted to believe in Christ and I met some Christians and they're just messed up. They're hypocritical. How can I believe in a God if his followers are so jacked up? Doubt comes in all shapes and sizes. 
Now, for those of you who aren't normal church people, I want to let you in on some normal church secrets, okay? Here's, here's one. Church people can be mean to other church people. I don't know if you knew that or not. Anyone? There's almost this implied belief where, where I grew up. There was this belief that if you have doubts, you're not worthy to be in our club. If you have doubts, you really don't have faith. That means you can't be saved. That means you're not good enough to be in our Christian circle. Now, I want to say that New Life Community Church takes the complete opposite. We welcome questions. We welcome doubters. In fact, when we started the church, we said, God, bring us the ones who are farthest from you. And we will love them and we will keep doing church until they step into the kingdom of God. And uh, we believe that unless you actually push through some of your doubts, you're not really going to get to faith because everybody has questions, right? And, and true questions, I don't have any problem with people asking me questions if they really want to know the answers to those questions. Where I get frustrated is when we answer questions and people just make up other things because they don't want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, today we're going to look at a guy who, whose name is associated with doubt. In the New Testament, he is actually labeled doubting who? Thomas. Wow, y'all knew that. You knew sport, uh, sports trivia. Wow. It's Final Four weekend, sorry. You know, Bible trivia, Doubting Thomas. Now, here's the, poor Thomas. Do you know there's only 12 verses in the whole Bible that even talk about Thomas? And out of those 12 verses, we label him a doubter. And uh, what I love about Thomas, though, is his life shows us that if you persevere, if you get some questions answered, you can actually become one of the most devoted followers of Christ in history. Now, you may not realize this, but all of Jesus' followers were doubters at the beginning. And and what we're going to look at today is the day Jesus rose from the dead. So in Luke chapter 24, it tells us that on the first day of the week, some of the, the women went to um, embalm Jesus' body. They couldn't do it on Friday when he died on the cross because they didn't have enough time before, um, the, the, before sundown, which was the beginning of the Sabbath. And so they, they took the body, they wrapped it up in cloths, and they just laid it in the tomb. Now, they couldn't do anything on Saturday because it was the Sabbath. And so on Sunday, a group of ladies are going to go and they're going to embalm Jesus' body for final resting. When they get there, the stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. They meet a couple of angelic beings and they say, Jesus is not here. They say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And so they said, go back and tell his disciples. So they run back and tell his disciples. And here's what it says. Uh, I think I have that. Do I have that? There it is. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. Get the picture. Women see the tomb is empty. An angelic being says that, that Jesus is alive. They come back and they tell his disciples The tomb is empty and it sounded like nonsense, so they didn't believe. So they were doubters. Right after that, Jesus appears to, well, Peter runs, he sees the tomb's empty, and then he comes back. And then right after that, we found out in the story that two people were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Emmaus was about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. As they're walking along, a man they didn't recognize comes up beside him and says, what are you talking about? And they said, we're talking about the stuff that happened in Israel. And and he says, what happened in Israel? And they go, are you the only person that doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem? And they start telling him, and then Jesus starts talking to him about the scriptures. And as they get to the house, they go in, but Jesus acted like he was going to go further. And they said, come in and stay with us because it's late. He goes in. They don't recognize him until they get ready to eat. Jesus breaks the bread, and he begins to pray, and they realize it's Jesus Christ right there. And then he vanishes. This is pretty cool. He vanishes. And so they go, weren't our hearts burning within us while we're talking with him as he's going along the road? And so seven miles from Jerusalem, it's late, it's night. They immediately run back to find the disciples and tell them that they have met Jesus. That's where we pick up the story in Luke 24, verse 36. And just as they were telling about it, the people who walked to Emmaus, who'd come back from Emmaus, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. 
Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Of course they were startled and frightened. Why? Because they saw him dead. All the way dead. Completely dead. Not mostly dead like Prince's Bride. All the way dead. Just mostly. No, he's all the way dead. September 27, 2013, my dad died. A few days later, we put his body in the ground. I was there. We buried the man. There was a color guard and, and the trumpet played taps because dad was a, a vet of World War II. And we cried as they folded up that, that flag and they presented it to the family. And, and dad was dead. And if my dad were to show up at Easter lunch today, I would pee in my pants. Is that okay to say on Easter? Because I would be freaked out, right? Dad shows up. My kids would go running. Papa was dead. There's Papa. We'd, we'd be freaked out. That's what's going on with the disciples. They saw him dead and he shows up and, and they don't know. They think he's a ghost. Look what he says to them. Why are you so frightened? And read this out loud with me. What does he say? Why do you doubt? Come on, boys. Don't you remember? I'm the one who, who opened blind eyes. I'm the one who healed deaf ears. I'm the one who raised people from the dead. And he said, I'm the one who told you that this was the plan. I told you I would suffer and die. And I told you that I would come back to life after three days. Why do you doubt, guys? This was what was the plan from the beginning. And then look what he does. Verse 39. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. Guess who wasn't there at this meeting? Doubting Thomas. How do we know this? Because John tells us about the very same meeting and it's in John chapter 20. Now Thomas called Didymus, we we call him T. Diddy. Um, most New Testament scholars believe he was the first century rapper, T. Diddy. And, and T. Diddy was not there. Because look, he missed church that day. Notice, now Thomas, called Didymus T. Diddy, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Thomas missed church. Don't you know you miss a lot when you miss church? What did he miss? He missed Jesus showing up. He missed the power of Jesus. He missed the presence of Jesus. He missed the peace be with you of Jesus. See, you miss a lot when you're not at church. Those of you who hadn't been here since Christmas, you've missed a lot. We've missed you, and you've missed a lot. Thomas missed church, and he missed Jesus, the proof that he was alive. And notice what the church-going disciples did, what they said in verse 25. They told him, we have seen the Lord. Hey, T. Diddy, you missed church. He's probably out rapping somewhere. You know, he had a gig, and he did one at church that night. They said, we saw Jesus. And look what T. Diddy says. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wounds in his side. He said, I don't want secondhand faith. I want firsthand. I'm not going to go on what you say. I want to see. And a lot of people, they kind of have this just because faith, just because mom and dad took me to church, that's why I believe. And someday something bad happens, and it shakes their faith to the core because it's not really their faith. They're not owning it. And, and they begin to ask him, well, you know, is, is Jesus real? Did he ever live? Is God real? Does God love me? Did Jesus die on the cross? They begin to ask all of these questions. If he existed, is he really risen from the dead? Because here's what I don't want you to miss this Easter Sunday morning. Do not miss this, okay? The disciples were very, very clear about what they believed. There was nothing ambiguous about what they wrote down. They claimed that God loved you and me so much that he didn't stay in heaven, that he descended to earth in the form of a human being. But he wasn't born from an earthly father, so he didn't inherit a sin nature of his earthly father. He had inherited a divine, sinless nature from God the Father in heaven. 
that allowed him to live a sinless life, that allowed him on the cross to become sin for me and you because he didn't pay uh, for his own sin. He paid for our sin. It allowed him to become sin for us on the cross and become a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And then Jesus himself said he was raised from the dead and over 500 witnesses saw him. Eyewitnesses saw Jesus alive and they all said, Jesus is alive, the tomb is empty, the stone is rolled away, he is not dead, he is risen. And if that is true, if 500 people, eyewitnesses, if their testimony is true, because see, you, you got to discredit all of them. If their witness is true, then it demands a response. And the only response I can imagine for someone who died for me is for me to live for him. Because if it's true, it changes everything. And Thomas says, I want to know, I want to know if it's true. And I just want to remind you, sometimes you can't have real faith until you push through doubts. Doubt doesn't have to be the end of faith. Doubt is not even the the, uh, enemy of faith. Doubt many times is the beginning of a lifelong faith that causes you to glorify God in everything that you do. Thomas said, I want to believe, but I need a little bit more. So watch what Jesus does for the doubter. This is verse 26 in John chapter 20. A week later, Jesus' disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was where? Thomas was with them. Uh, Some of you didn't get that. Thomas was where? John is all into where Thomas was. He tells us the week before Thomas wasn't there. This week, Thomas is there. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, now notice he didn't talk to any of the other disciples. He kind of ignores them, but Jesus cares about the one who wants to believe. He ignores Bartholomew because we've all been ignoring Bartholomew for thousands of years. We don't, does anybody know what Bartholomew did? I don't know what Bartholomew did. You just stay over there, Bartholomew, Bart. I want to talk to Thomas, T. Diddy. He goes right to him and look what he says. Put your finger here and look at my hands. Take your hand and put it into my side. And what does he say here? Stop doubting and believe. Look how Thomas responds. My Lord and my God. Jesus said to Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who have seen me, but but, but, who haven't seen me, but believe. Jesus performed many other miracles that his disciples saw. These miracles are not written in the book. Now listen to this. But these miracles have been written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and so that you will have life by believing in him. (sighs) Did you notice that the doors were locked? Jesus appears. I don't know if you've you've realized this before, but but the stone couldn't keep Jesus in the tomb. And the locked door couldn't keep him out of the room. Why? Because he's Jesus. And I don't know how he did it, but I think this is really cool. I think this is fascinating because he comes up and the door's locked and he just goes, a I don't know if there's a sound effect that goes along with Jesus coming through walls, but if I could do it right now, I would do it so that you would remember this. I would jack with you. I'd come over there and sit by John. Hello. You know, because I, what is Jesus? Here I am. I don't know. That's just cool. It's fascinating to me. I love the Bible. It's crazy. It's good. It's, it's, it's good all the time. <laughs> and then what does he say to Thomas? He says, stop doubting and believe. Jesus gave Thomas what he needed. And notice what he didn't do. He didn't say, Thomas, you can't be my disciple anymore. Go sit in time out. You don't have enough faith. Get out of here. That's what a lot of Christians do. You, you doubt, get out of here. We can't stand that. Here, we believe Jesus was going to give you what you needed. Stop doubting and believe. And I believe that Jesus, the presence of Jesus today, is going to cause some of you to stop doubting and to believe in him. Thomas responds, my Lord and my God. He didn't say the Lord is God. It was very personal. It was firsthand faith. He said, the, my Lord and my God. See, he didn't just believe in, he believed. There's a difference between believing in and believing. Even the demons believe in Jesus Christ and they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. 
Thomas believed Jesus was who he said he was, and it rocked his world, and it changed him. And you need to understand that the Bible contains eyewitness testimony. In the Old Testament, it's eyewitness testimony to how God worked with his people Israel. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's eyewitness testimony of how Jesus Christ worked with his disciples and everyone around him, how he died on the cross and he was raised again. From Acts through the end of Revelation, it's the story of how God's Holy Spirit interacts with people who believe, and he changes them from the inside out, and he changes the world because they've had an encounter with the risen Christ. And I want to tell you about a couple of these eyewitnesses because this, this increases my faith. Maybe it will yours. Peter, you remember him? Peter says, I'm going to follow you. Even if everybody else runs away, I will die with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, tonight, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And we know that he did. I don't know the man. I swear I cuss. I don't know the man. I don't know who you're talking about. He denied him and, and he failed Jesus miserably. And it says that when Jesus turned and looked at him, Peter went out and wept bitterly because he knew he had failed. After the resurrection, Jesus goes and finds Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? He does this three times. Peter says, yes, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And then 52 days after Jesus, after Peter ran like a little scared boy, When Jesus was arrested, 52 days later on the day of Pentecost, he stands up and preaches one of the most powerful sermons in the history of the world. And 3,000 people get saved that day and are baptized that day. I preached this sermon four weeks ago. And then I challenged people to be baptized. And folks just stood up. We had 11 people come up and be baptized that day. Because I said, I want you to realize that baptism is following Jesus. It's, It's an obedience thing. People came up that day. And by the way, those 3,000 people who became believers that day, they were skeptics before they became believers. Later, people came to Peter and they said, you need to deny your faith. He said, I'll never deny my faith in Jesus Christ again. And so the Romans said, well, then you're going to die like your Savior did. And they said, we're going to crucify you on the cross. And he said, well, I'm not even worthy. Tradition says that he was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not even worthy to die the same way that Jesus died. So the same Jesus that Peter denied Later in life, after he saw the resurrected Jesus, he's, he's willing to die for. James was the, was the half-brother of Jesus. Now ask yourself sometime, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he's the son of God? That's just a fun exercise. You, you can talk about that at lunch today. The half-brother of Jesus, there's no indication in Scripture that he became a believer in Jesus before the resurrection. But after the resurrection, he becomes one of the pillars of the church in Jerusalem writes a book in the New Testament, and people look to him for wisdom whenever they needed uh, church issues decided. Well, he was preaching and people were coming to Christ. Even some of the temple leaders were coming to Christ because of the message of James. And so one day, if you read this, this is crazy. Some some non-Christian historians write about this. They take him to the top of the temple. He starts talking about Jesus. They didn't like what he said. They push him off the temple. He falls about 100 feet, but he doesn't die. And so the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, run out and they begin stoning him and he still won't die. And so one of the historians said that a man came up and beat James to death with his club because he would not renounce Jesus Christ. The brother of Jesus, eyewitness to Jesus, died saying Jesus is the son of God. The apostle Paul, you've heard about him. He hated Christians, went everywhere trying to kill Christians, throw them in jail. One day going to to arrest and kill Christians to Damascus, he meets Jesus. And it so radically transforms him that the one who persecuted Christians now goes all over the known world preaching Christ. And he even said, for me to live is Christ, but die is gain. 
And they came to Paul in Rome when he was preaching there. And they said, Paul, you need to deny your faith. He said, I will never deny Jesus Christ. And because he was a Roman citizen, they didn't crucify him because Roman citizens couldn't be crucified. Peter was, wasn't Roman, so he could be crucified. So they chopped off his head for, for believing in Jesus Christ because it was a quicker death. And a Roman could do that. You could do that, but you couldn't be crucified. The one that he was trying, the one he hated, he becomes the number one preacher of Christ in the world in his time. And he wrote half of the New Testament. And then we have Thomas here. Thomas is unfairly branded a doubter because I've shown you all of them were doubters. In fact, everybody here who's a believer in Christ, at one time you were a doubter. Some of your doubters right now, you're just temporarily, hopefully you're going to move into the believing category. Doubt for Thomas wasn't the end. It was a beginning point. Thomas got what he needed and Thomas ended up traveling farther distance wise than any of the other disciples. He went to India to preach Christ because he believed the people in India needed to hear about Jesus Christ. And one day some people came up to him in a cave and they said, renounce Jesus Christ. And he said, I will not renounce Jesus Christ. And so they ran him through with a spear. They killed him. The Thomas who doubted became the Thomas who would die for Jesus Christ. And some of you walked in here today and you have doubts. And and I'm just going to tell you that's a good place to start. Because doubt doesn't have to be the enemy of faith. It doesn't have to be the end of your faith. I'm believing that doubt can be the beginning of your faith today. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. Some of you are followers of Christ, but you still doubt. They come at different times, different shapes, different sizes. But you want your faith to grow. If you're a Christ follower, you've asked Jesus to forgive your sin and lead your life, but you still struggle with doubt sometimes. Nobody looking around. Would you just raise your hands for a moment? Anyone else? Okay, put your hands down. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for these followers of Christ who are willing to say sometimes I doubt. I thank you that you said in your word that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And God, as we've heard your word today, I pray that their faith would grow. I pray that they would recognize that you're all powerful, that you believe, um, that we would believe that all things are possible with you, God. That we would have faith in your goodness and your involvement in our lives and you working in all things to bring about good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And God, I pray that they would have faith in the supernatural. I pray for bodies to be healed. I pray for marriages to be restored. I pray for people to be um, healed from bitterness and, and anger and resentment. God, I even pray for financial miracles in some folks' lives because they are your followers. And when you provide help, God, I pray that we would just stop and say thank you. And I pray, God, for all of these believers in Christ, that you would use them to glorify your name on this earth. Now, keep your heads bowed for just a minute. Because some of you, some of you, you walked in here and you don't know. If you were to die tonight, you don't know if you for sure you would go to heaven. And you've been thinking, is God really real? Is Jesus the only way to God? Does God really love me? Could he forgive me? I want to tell you, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. I believe he loves you so much that he became like you, became human. He became a person of Jesus Christ and he was without sin. He died and he rose again. And because eyewitnesses believed it at that time and millions of people have put their faith in Jesus Christ over the last 2,000 years and because of what Jesus Christ did in my life, I believe he can do something to change your life. And for many of you right now, it's time to stop doubting and believe. Believe he can change you, believe he can forgive you, believe he is Lord, surrender your life to him. So I'm just curious, is there anybody here who says, you know, I'm not sure about my faith in Christ, but I think it's time I believe. Would you raise your hands? I've been doubting, I'm not sure I'm a Christ follower. I think it's time I believe. Somebody raise your hand. 
Anyone? If that's you, the Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it says that when one person on earth gives their heart to Christ, the angels in heaven rejoice. So the way we say it around here, it's real simple. You just pray a prayer like this. You say, God, I believe in Jesus Christ. Just pray that in your mind. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins and please be the leader of my life. Now, if you did that, I want you to put that on your card here in just a little bit that I prayed today and asked Jesus to be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And we pray that because of the empty tomb, we would never be the same again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.